Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and we're back again. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsing. With me, all the way from Wales, where they jail ghostbusters, ghost hunters during the lockdown. The gold standard in ghost hunting, according to the Wall Street Journal, Mr. Steve Parsons. Good afternoon, uh, evening, good night, wherever you are in the world. <laughs> so, so what am I going to be able to call you doctor, by the way? When? Yeah. Um, maybe this year. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe, yeah. Well, maybe. Cal has his way, he will. Yeah, he's driving me mad. <laughs> I'm also, doing I'm doing my very best not to get a PhD. <laughs> yeah, I know that. <laughs> so funny. Anyways, everybody's calling themselves so oh, whatever. Anyways, uh, the air has gotten a lot thicker and denser now because I have another parapsychologist. He is world renowned parapsychologist Lloyd Harbeck. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Are you there? <laughs> I am here. Okay. What is this a seance? I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh no, that's um, yeah. Zoom it... Zoom meetings have become the new seance, haven't they? Yes, they have. Uh, yep. Yes, they have. So uh, Lloyd does call himself a parapsychologist. Steve does not call himself a parapsychologist, and I'm nobody. So there you go. Uh, What's the deal with the parapsychologists? I mean, you earned your title, uh, uh, Lloyd. I, I understand that. And Steve, you certainly could call yourself a parapsychologist, yet you don't. Why? Why don't you call it? You know, um, because I'm a ghost hunter, and I'm proud to be a ghost hunter. Mm. Um, and and and. I, I've never been one for titles, you know. I mean, yeah, I mean, apparently I can call myself a parapsychologist. Everybody um, else does. <laughs> that's their problem. <laughs> but let's ask a real parapsychologist. Um, is there any value to being a parapsychologist? Uh, well, I guess that really depends on who you, who you ask. I, I think for me, it distinguishes me uh, from, uh, no offense, uh, the ghost hunting community is much as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a uh -oh. educator, even though I've been known to mainly know my investigations and such. So, well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's the intriguing thing. The reason I don't use the, use the title is is because um, I think it misleads people, and also it, it uh, you said it it um, it makes a distinction between. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, you know, recognizing the qualification, absolutely. Um, but I, I I've you know for the last 
oh, decade been squabbling with the SPR over the fact that there is a, a disconnect between academic parapsychology or the academic side of parapsychology and the wider ghost hunting community, which has led to um, a void that's being filled by social media, by the television, oh, by the media, and by, sure. you know, and, and rather than, you know, rather than continuing the void, um, I've been trying to encourage the society and the academics to reach out and provide the um, ghost hunting community with the resource that they that they're so desperate for. Because you know, without without um, guidance, they're turning to one another and turning to the television. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we also know um, that the TV is part of the problem because they won't let. Um, you know lloyd myself ron um people Don't who put me in that group all right then <laughs> i only did it to be polite i know you that <laughs> We don't get that. We don't get invited to the conferences. We don't get invited to appear on the programs anymore because you know we don't do demons. <laughs> right, right, and you know it's beyond that too. I think early on, um, with the show Ghost Hunters here in the states, at least, they deliberately avoided dealing with any parapsychologists. They actually talked to a couple of parapsychologists first, uh, including Barry Taff, who was put off and said no to them simply because the producers, according to Barry, suggested they might be faking things from time to time. <gasps> and then, no. of course, and then of course, which, which immediately got him, him. Oh, Lloyd, you know, when he said to them, so how, yeah. Lloyd, are, are, are you breaking up or is it just me, Steve? Can you tell no, it, it is. No, it, it, there's you know a little what? bit of fade. Uh, tell you what, if you want to, call me back try calling me right back i'll switch to another computer and see okay we can we can do that because you were you were really cutting out and I, and I was just you know hanging on your words so i didn't want to miss okay any. all right so okay. uh roy can you call uh, lloyd right back actually hang up then he will have to <laughs> there you go okay meanwhile we'll have some karaoke okay what do you want to <laughs> say money for nothing <laughs> no, that, yeah that's ghost hunting no money yeah, for nothing. Pretty much. Well, no, I'm money, sure no money for anything. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So yeah, I, I had talked on the uh, the other show, which I came across the uh, four ghost hunters in, in Wales that were caught during the uh, lockdown. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. well, the English have caught up. They they got eight the other night. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah. Never... Um, although we're we're now, um, I don't know if you saw in the news, uh, we're now um, more open. Um, yeah. The prop the problem was people were were supposed to stay local, and there was no uh, no supposed cross border, so people from England couldn't travel into Wales, vice versa. Likewise, between England and Scotland, um, that that's all been released this week. So these are all sort of historic legacy. Uh, things that are appearing in the press but good on them because these people you know we are dealing with the pandemic um right. and we we you know they need to be uh, there are certain restrictions and certain regulations and the vast majority of people whether they like them or not are abiding by them okay we all bend them a little bit from time to time but mm -hmm. you know these these are there is a small group of people who think that they are above <laughs> Here we them go. hello is that better? Perfect. So far. Okay. We'll give you that. We'll yeah. give you that. So anyway. The first three seconds were 
perfect. Oh, good. There you go. And uh, I forget where the hell we were when. Uh... So I, was ta- I was talking about the original, you know, the original Ghost Hunter show here. In oh, the right, right, and right. Yeah. So um, the other thing that, that kind of threw Barry off and he just basically kind of ranted at them, I think, uh, which I probably <laughs> would have as well, which was, uh, you know, they wanted him to travel all over the place and they weren't willing to pay anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Did I laugh? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's so. And apparently, according to Barry, he said the producer said they had talked to other parapsychologists. It wasn't me. I'm not sure who else they talked to. Uh, but they were turned on flat also. Same thing because of the issue with non-payment. I mean, you, we're not like independently wealthy. <laughs> we can't. or And we're not being paid by Roto-Rooter, which the guys were for the, at least the first season on that show. Right. Now, um... now, it's interesting that, Lloyd, because what you do see, um, I mean, the phone calls still ha- come in um, from, yeah. from um, the researchers or, or you know, the, the lackey. Um, and they always start off with that line. We don't have a budget. Yeah. Yeah. We, I, you know, I have been fortunate to work with some people who have a minor budget. Uh, it's not a lot of money, but I... Mm-hmm. If they want me to travel, it's a different story. If they want to come to meet the interview me, I'm not too worried about getting paid. Not that I really should have said that, but <laughs> yeah, you should definitely not have said that. We can, I, I think we, that that's you know, we'll, redi- we'll terms, redact that in the edit. Yeah, <laughs> if, if it if it's on my terms, I don't mind doing informational. I mean, I do podcasts for free, so it's yeah. not that much different. Yeah, because um, we're not paying you. Right, right. Just let you uh, know. <laughs> Hey, somebody, somebody offered to pay me $50 to do a podcast, and she said she was embarrassed. That's all, that's all she could offer me. And it's Ooh. someone I know. So I said, yeah, you don't have to pay me anything. Nobody else does. <laughs> the, so there, there's, a, there's a difference right there now. For, well, I guess, you know, ghost hunters are, are all uh, non-for-profit, according to their websites. And uh, so they, they don't charge anything. Um, but, Mostly. Yeah, mostly. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I understand the other side, too, because the television is a little bit different than uh, private individuals or businesses, too. It's, right. uh, is, is that the difference, you, you, you believe? Well, I mean, they're fo- they have to kind of TV has to focus on on mostly businesses or um, public locations. Uh, for ethical reasons, although that's been broken by a number of the shows <laughs> over the years, as we know. Um, and it exactly. seems it seems like, you know, the biggest problem, I think, here, you were mentioning about the disconnect between academic parapsychology. And that is true. But I have to say that a lot of academics I know don't even know, didn't even know the shows existed for quite some time because they don't watch TV. <laughs> so <laughs> well, there you uh, go. there's that. But we're we've been trying, for example, through the Rhine Education Center, through the Rhine Research Center, to educate though to reach out and educate the paranormal so-called paranormal community Mm -hmm. and we actually just started a couple of new certificate programs with a series of courses um to give a grounding in parapsychology and the evidence for survival in field investigative methods just a range of things one of which is directed at the ghost hunters the other is directed at anyone who wants to do a field investigation or field research of anything paranormal psychic or whatever you want to call it any spontaneous side experience and so, so i mean and i i've got to admit at this point um that the ryan model has been the one that i've been pushing um the spr towards because um this this it it looks like it's um what it is 
currently the only existing model that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and, honestly, and we've honestly, Steve, it's making it's it's bringing in students from all over the world, mm-hmm. especially since the pandemic. And the SPR could do, you know, could get some financial support through the courses. Not that I want yeah, the competition, but. No, I mean, oh, I, <laughs> there's no, enough room out there. Trust I'm, me. I'm very aware of the of the market. It's trying to make other people aware of the potential. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and as you say, one of one of the uh, the things that I've been keen to push as well is to promote uh, these ghost hunting courses for the undergraduate uh, psychology students because mm-hmm. they they also I think have a. a, a jaded or or strange view of ghost hunting which is derived only from the television or, or from oh, so, sure. what they say on social media and and it does lead to some bizarre situations where where for example uh, one one i've used before one of one of britain's leading parapsychologists i won't name them but you would know them um was talking about one of the investigations that they went on and that they were measuring the electromagnetism um, inside the location very laudably they were using um a ghost hunting meter to do so and i said to them well you have a physics department in your university why didn't you get one of the physicists to come along and mm-hmm. uh, it never occurred to them really never I, occurred I to, to say, them. i have to say that um a number of years ago i actually had a, a kind of the husband of a friend of mine worked at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratories here in the Bay Area. And he was interested in this stuff. And he actually, he was a nuclear physicist <laughs> who, who um, built some, some uh, electromagnetic sensing equipment to bring along on a couple of investigations that we had. So I, I think it's, it's absolutely, it makes so much sense to talk to people in yeah. engineering, physics, environmental sciences, especially in those areas, if you're if you're at a university and have those people to talk to and they're willing to talk to you, that's who you should talk to. Yeah. The problem I mean, was that they, 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 it wasn't that they were unwilling to talk. It's just it hadn't occurred to the psychologist. And the problem I, I've, I, I've identified and seen is oh, that wow. you, you've got um, postgrad students um, who, who with an interest in, in, in parapsychology um, thinking that the the uh, degree or their master's degree means that they are suddenly qualified to to investigate um and go into haunted locations mm-hmm. yeah and they they often aren't because um as, as you as you highlighted there are many many aspects and facets to an investigation um you know the, it is environmental there is physics there is measuring stuff and uh you know, all of those need to be addressed by the particular speciality. Yeah, I actually had a case years ago which sounded like, you know, the nightmare case that ghost hunters would love to have. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when we got there, it was all it was a combination of the physical structure of the building and the surrounding environment um, that was causing them to come to some reasonable conclusions because they were all unusual um, conditions, actually. You know, something that the average person would never figure out. And one of the people with me uh, was actually a guy who had his degree in engineering, also knew a lot about the zoning laws uh, for properties and buildings, construction, because he'd done work in that area. And so he like he immediately identified like five different things that were wrong with the house that would easily make these people get dizzy in certain spots or have some problems. 
And that's, you know, having someone along or getting a good background in all those normal things, even though they're yeah. unusual, yeah. is incredibly important. I mean, that's what I, I teach my students, uh, kind of have to emphasize that for anything. Because I've seen, in fact, I usually tell people I've gotten, I found more bad wiring with uh, an EMF meter than I have anything paranormal. <laughs> Yeah, the, we've, the amount of times we've gone to the electricity board or the homeowner and said, uh -huh. you have a serious problem with your with your wiring here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know, I have to say. That I've, that probably, I've probably saved more uh, homes from burning yeah. down than being haunted. I, I was just going to say that um, we have, I think that by approaching things that way and looking for these normal explanations, we actually have saved homeowners thousands yeah. of dollars yeah. over the years. <laughs> so Lloyd, I wanted to ask you about a particular case and I, I found it intriguing in, in, a, in a lot of different ways, especially your explanation of it. And that was the Jackie Hernandez case. I, do you remember it? Yeah, I mean, that's that was a uh, Barry, you know, Barry Taff and and Carrie Gaynor did that case. That's the case mm -hmm. that became the entity. Right. And you your explanation was that it was uh, the woman herself, and it was but basically a poltergeist case uh, where she created the haunting itself. Uh, yeah, and actually, that's not my explanation. That was Carrie and uh, Barry's explanation, because I, I wasn't on that case. Uh, well, you were on the TV show. <laughs> I've, talked, I've talked about it. No, I have absolutely talked about it, because I've had long, lengthy talks with Barry about it, uh -huh. and years ago with Carrie as well. Um, so just, just on the surface of looking at it from, I've also talked to Bill, I also talked to Bill Roll about it before he passed away, obviously, and a number of other folks. Uh, again, he was not on the case, but he had looked into it or at least read enough about it. Uh, I also knew the exaggeration that Frank DeFolita did in the novel, which then became the absolutely bizarre movie, right. which is still fun, fun to watch. So the activity was centered around Jackie Hernandez. There was never any actual indication uh, of an apparition or other discarnate entity uh, other than what she was claiming. And she was not like raped like you see in the movie. Um, none of that happened. Although the one thing that did happen, in fact, all the activity was purely physical that was going on around her, right. which is a, a key element we find in living was, agents. Wasn't there bruising and biting on her as well? There was bruising and biting, but, you know, I had a case where a woman was choked right in front of us, and it was a poltergeist case. It was actually her, her own mind that did it. Um, so that, that's, well, that's the thing that intrigues me. How do you come to that conclusion? Well, in a couple of ways. First of all, you have to remember that there is more than a little bit of evidence that people under deep, who are really suggestible under hypnosis, can, in fact, evidence a burn or a blister when they're touched by a pencil, but told that that's a red hot iron poker. Right. Totally understand that. Yeah. So we have the, you know, remember that psychosomatic means that psycho is mind, somatic is body. Right. We have an effect on our bodies. We can heal or hurt ourselves. Mm -hmm. And people do get bruising sometimes by contorting themselves in the middle of the night um, for various reasons. That's something I've read up about um, and talked to sleep experts about over the years. Yeah, you have, you have the Van Munchen syndrome too of damage by proxy of damage by itself and Munchausen by proxy yeah, yeah, that, thank you. yeah you know I, I like massacre words so just ignore that 
but yeah, so, as Steve, so, as Steve well knows. <laughs> but but I'll, I'll also tell you from for for those people who are interested in the paranormal perspective, um, mm -hmm. the case that I had with the woman being choked, her throat actually bulged out, and four depressions like fingers on one side appeared, and one on the other appeared. Um, the phenomena, what was going on, actually stopped as I yelled because she was croaking out, "Get it off me! Get it off me!" Not that we could see anything, but I yelled at it. Uh, and it suddenly stopped, which immediately tells me something. But more importantly, the person who was with me was another faculty member from our JFK parapsychology program. And Sharon, at that point, Sharon Salfin was Jerry Salfin's wife at the time. Sharon Frankmont is a really good psychic and a psychologist. And Sharon, complete, she was flabbergasted because she picked up literally nothing. And mm -hmm. she always picks up stuff in cases if there is something to pick up. Uh, and this is a common common thread I've seen with mediums, bringing mediums and psychics with me on on poltergeist cases, on RSPK cases. Nothing. They don't pick up anything, even though there's activity happening right in front of us. So that combined with after the attack this woman had, we we got some more information, which was related to what was going on in her mind psychologically, that completely connected to those attacks that she was claiming. Mm -hmm. So. There, there was a, a really, from a psychological perspective, there was an amazingly direct connection to those. And in fact, the woman was already seeing a therapist for nightmares she was having about her father having molested her as a child, mm -hmm. recovered memories. And divorce and she was going through, I believe, too, right? She, she had gone through a divorce as well. Yeah. Many years, yeah. like 10 years before, she had gone through that divorce. But the re what happened there, Sharon actually, Sharon and one other faculty member talked to, with the woman's, with the woman's uh, permission, talked to the therapist who didn't know about the attacks. And in that conversation, apparently there was a big aha moment on the part of the therapist who got a much better understanding of what was going on in psychology. And uh, the woman never had another attack. So either Lloyd Auerbach scared away a ghost or a demon. <laughs> Just now, by using, a, but just by using a few choice four-letter words, because I might was from, you might, yeah. But um, I also, I you know, in, in the you know, they also said that it when she moved, it also moved with her. That's it, and that's the other thing with the Hernandez case is that, you know, when you if you are the center of a of this psychokinetic activity, if you are a living agent in what we call polarized cases here in the states. Um, and you move, and the stressors that might have caused that, or if you're one of the unlucky few where it's related to neurological issues, brain activity, um, that's going to go with you because you are the source. Right. So you would, to I mean, you when you do this, you totally rule out any religious issues at all, right? We don't approach it from a religious perspective. We do have to respect religious perspectives, but honestly, I've turned down cases uh, and and this is a for me, it's an important thing too. Um, I get calls when I get the initial interview and do that. I offer some other suggestions. I let them know right up front we're going to look for alternative explanations, normal explanations for the little things, for all the events you talk about. Mm -hmm. Even if there's real activity, it doesn't mean that those fifteen things, all fifteen of the things you're reporting to me, were all related. Right. That they had many of them could have had. And if I if I get a no no, it's a demon. I get the impression immediately that I'm not going to be of any help. <laughs> I'll totally I understand it. Yeah. yeah. So, Steve, uh, 
and I have talked about poltergeists a lot and uh-huh. uh, the, the classic, uh, you know, cases is, is an adolescent. And this was a woman. So is that, is that, well, uh, st- statistically it's only about 60% of the cases are adolescents. Okay. Right. Yeah. And I think that it really was Stephen King's movie, Carrie back in the seventies that froze the teenage girl thing. And people you know lives. all your movies, don't you? I have taught courses on pop culture and parapsychology. <laughs> so, yeah, and yes, I do. Don't call him Professor Paranormal for nothing, Ron. Uh, yes, yeah, that's right. That's right. It was an intriguing case, and and I and I, I did listen to your interview, and I I thought that was uh, interesting. I did want to ask you about yeah. it. That's why I get it. I'll just mention, you know, the one thing that was really uh, interesting, you know, most interesting, I think, is that they had many witnesses to the the light manifestations that were purely physical. So again, they were physical. They were not, you know, not the kind it wasn't after the fact with a picture and then they show up in the picture. Um, these were actually physical lights, which could easily have been plasma effects, kind of uh, static electricity, kind of the effect that you'd see with ball lightning or something like that. And that could easily have, could actually have been caused by the woman. Do you so know that's, you, that's actually, oh, there's the light, I'm sorry. sorry. Sorry, Ron. No, uh, those, no, those, light, those light phenomena are, are, are perhaps some of the most intriguing. Um, we're coming up to the break, but um, I, re- I recall a, play, um, a location I was visiting in Scotland and we were deep underground in the in mm-hmm. the lower dungeons of a castle. And the entire room lit up like one of those green glow sticks um, was built into the walls. It was fascinating to see, completely cool. perplexing. Um, yeah. how it happened and it was happening coincidentally with um people reporting phenomena which made it doubly intriguing but the way this room lit up it lit up to the point where you could actually you, you could actually read text on paper and that's it was walls that were self-illuminating that's yeah that's amazing was it the mineral content in the walls did you do no idea it, the, the, the event lasted possibly 40 50 uh-huh. seconds and never repeated itself so that could have been geomagnetic or electrostatic, piezoelectric, could, that kind of thing. It, yeah. it, I mean, the, the 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 materials of the building suggested uh, piezoelectricity, mm-hmm. but we were never able to prove it. Um, but it was fascinating, uh, nonetheless. Yeah, right. those I kinds mean, of physical effects are really interesting. Yeah, that's, now is that the same case where the investigator was hung? No, that was a case that... Oh, San, um, San, uh, San um, Andres or something like that. I forget what it is. What yeah. My, yeah. Okay, that was, okay, so that was different. But anyways, we do have to uh, wrap it up. We're coming on the break. We're talking to Lloyd Ibrack. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles uh, International. Uh, Lloyd, uh, how can people, you know, find out more information about these courses at the Rhine? So the, the easiest would be to go to rhine.org. So that's R-H-I-N-E.org and just click on the education tab at the top. Uh, you can also go to rhine.edu.org and okay. go directly to the courses. Great. You're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojinet and PowerX Radio, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street. So anything you hear on this show and you want to sue, go see them. Uh, anyways, also our good friends on Patreon, and we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Toginet, 
Radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly kooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Parrax family. Two of Ghost Chronicles, the International Edition, and our very special guest tonight is Professor Paranormal Parapsychologist Lloyd Auerbach. Um, Lloyd, I'm, I'm going to kick off part two with a slightly because Pete, we talked about or we ended part one uh, mentioning the courses and the uh, the Ryan Institute, but you're coming. also sorry, I knew this uh, was coming, but you're also uh, very heavily involved with the Forever Family Foundation. Yes, I am. And prob- <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I don't I, I, I'm not sure that unless people follow you on Twitter, um, that that people are necessarily aware of um, your involvement with this, uh, with the foundation. And um, to be honest with you, I'm somewhat intrigued because this this seems to be uh, from my um, viewing of the website um, that you, you that the, the foundation undertakes um a similar role to the spiritualist national union here in the uk in that the certification testing of mediums um is is carried out by the foundation but the foundation is much broader isn't it um perhaps you're in a better position to explain the the foundation yeah so so the forever family foundation was started in the uh, mid-2000s by bob and fran ginsburg um with some other families who had lost children who had had their grief mitigated by contact with spirit mediums. And Bob, in fact, uh, Bob Ginsburg is that was actually a total skeptic when this, this, they didn't go to a medium. One of their neighbors apparently ended up in communication with their daughter, with the Ginsburg daughter, uh, through a medium. And Bob eventually came after really questioning what was going on. He really came to the realization that not only, was there really good evidence for him that convinced him this was real? But the two of them had enormous grief relief working with that medium at that time. So they they got together with other families and they started this foundation. And the mandate for the organization, which is all volunteer, by the way, um, was to bring science in 
not just the spiritual support or grief support from that mediumship comes from. So the certification process with mediums got started with the help of a number of researchers who created a controlled situation of kind of a double blind study or double blind situation for the mediums to actually have to do and pass. And I've known really good mediums who did not pass Ooh. because for whatever reason that day they weren't terribly psychic. Um, and that's one piece of it. So one was to provide mediums who not only were evidential, but also had some training in grief response. That's been a part of this whole process and has some ethics to them as well. Mm -hmm. And to provide that as a service, the other is supporting research into the evidence for life after death. You know, everything from what I do as an investigator to reincarnation research and uh, near-death experiences and such, it's all about education and support. So we run, um, occasion, we're doing our first grief retreat since the pandemic, actually in July, it's already booked up uh, because of that Netflix series, Surviving Death. Oh, one, of the, yeah. one of our retreats was actually featured in that. And in that, during that retreat, we have mediums working with people, but also grief counselors uh, or psychologists who's involved in that area working with them as well. Uh, so it really kind of comes at it, plus presentations on kind of the more scientific evidence, however you want to interpret it, for an afterlife in that way. Uh, we're doing another grief retreat here in California in October and then another one in January in Florida. So we're starting to kind of work back up to being active again. And then hopefully next year we'll also do a mediumship conference, which will feature both scientists and mediums uh, as do well. You, do you want to uh, give out the uh, address details yeah. to anybody who might want to get in touch or um, find out more about the Forever Fam Family Foundation? Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll just mention that it is free to join the foundation. Um, it is foreverfamilyfoundation.org. So again, foreverfamilyfoundation.org. Uh, and I also recommend a book by Bob, by Robert Ginsburg. Uh, he wrote a book on all he's learned as a consumer going to see mediums or working with mediums called The Medium Explosion. Just came out in January. It's a great book. There we are. So yeah. that's, that's a, I, I mean, I, I, I see you, um, you, you mentioned it regularly on your twitter feed and um, yeah, it's well, something that something that you know i've i've been following and um also you know following the foundation because you've got a webinar i think coming up quite soon and um yes i'm going to do a webinar next month we haven't set it on the topic yet but i'll be doing a webinar next month as well mm -hmm. and we had cal we had cal speaking for us at one of our conferences in fact Oh, yeah, I was going to say because uh, I'll call my, uh, my friend and colleague Cal Cooper is um, a lot of his work recently has been focused on bereavement. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, and um, you know, it, it's really amazing. I've attended, and I have, I've only attended one of the grief retreats so far, but I've attended our conferences where we have the mediums working with people also, and it's just amazing to see most of the attendees turning around uh, and getting some real relief when they've been grieving so much. The, we have the, there's no question, there's the occasional person who just can't let go of their grief for whatever reason. And no matter what you do, I mean, they've already been to grief counselors, they've been to mediums, and they keep going to mediums because they're just waiting for that one message from their loved one that will either convince them or relieve them of any guilt they might feel, even if it's undeserved. So there, there's going to be people who are what the skeptics would say are medium junkies, but that's really rare in the people we see. Mm -hmm. So I, I know that the 
the old AAEVP uh, used to do uh, work with uh, deceased, uh, like the big circle, were uh, experiments in contacting uh, people who have lost loved ones. Uh, are you familiar with that work? Not specifically. I'm not. Yes. They used to do uh, blind studies where they would have one person uh, ask a question and then someone would be recording, like in Washington, somebody here in Massachusetts would ask the question, and then it would be analyzed in like Savannah or something. And they were getting pretty good results for questions uh, to ones, uh, to loved ones that had passed. And uh, it was called the Big Circle. Uh, God, it's been so many years since that happened. Of course, the, the AAEVP is now something, I think, the trans. Yeah, something, it's, right? it's the, it's the, I think it's the Association for Trans Communication. Or yeah, something that's that. now. But yeah, yeah they, they were getting some good results on that. And I wonder if they're having that, problems um, with, with that description nowadays. <laughs> What's that? Oh, transcommunicating. Trans oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that could cause some problems, couldn't it? Yeah, it could. Well, yeah, yeah I guess. <laughs> yeah, that, that could, I hadn't even thought about that, Steve. Now you put it in my head and it's not going to go away. Uh, Sorry, we, 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 we have to be uh, very, um, very politically correct and politically yeah. minded these days. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, I will say, I don't know if you're familiar with the work the Windbridge Research Center is doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, Julie Beichel is doing some of the best controlled research in our field in general with so many layers of control. It's just it, it actually gets kind of laughable from a comical from an outside, you know, <laughs> outside perspective. But um, it boils down to they've been getting amazing results from some of the mediums. The, the real question, of course, is whether is this is this some just form of ESP with the living or is this actual communication with right, the deceased? Right. That's that's always going to be the question. And I think the answer to that, you know, how you look at the evidence is all based on your philosophy, what your starting point is. Right. I mean, that's always been the problem from a medium. We, we can understand that they get information about where that information is coming from. Sure. It's been, is the real mystery. Now, I think part of the problem also lies with um, with. Uh, academic parapsychology here because uh, you talked about these unbelievable controls um, and yet experiments with very good controls have been being done for for decades right but right. what but what you see is in 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 the world where i inhabit in physics you see these crazy results like we had the fifth uh, force experiment that mm -hmm. came out from um uh ohio recently uh sorry illinois um and physicists get really excited and they say, right, what can we do with these results? How can we move them forward? When you get a really exciting result in, in uh, terms of uh, psi or para-research that's coming out from a very well-controlled experiment, you get the parapsychologists and they're looking at it and going, oh, there's something wrong with the controls. Some of them do that. Um, a, a lot, lot of them do not. that. <laughs> I, I, I know people, I, I kind of know people who do that all the time, no matter if, even if they do their own, there, there's something about that. Mm -hmm. But then there are those who do not do that and who look at um, trying to come up with applications or a better understanding of what's going on in the process. And as an example, uh, Ed May, uh, in our, who is a physicist in our field, who is extremely critical of bad controlled experiments, <laughs> Uh, has been doing the majority of the remote viewing work uh, over the last 
probably 25, 30 years. I mean, he was the program director of Stargate, the U.S. government program, for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And he's continued to do some remote viewing research. And there, and it's it's apply, applying that ability or that work to doing practical work. I know that Joe McMonigle, for example, who was the main viewer for the government program, is working occasionally, um, not with government stuff, but in other areas. Paul Smith is as well. Um, so there isn't, there, for certain things, there are applications. For others, there are not really terribly good applications. I, I, th- I think it might be a cultural thing because British, the British psychologists that, that I've encountered, um, they do tend to, uh, they, they view the results um, rather than as a stepping stone forwards. Um, they view them with suspicion. Um, and they mm-hmm. seem to be more than happy just going back and having another crack at the Gansfeld. Um, but I'm going to uh, I'm going to I'm going to throw it. Yeah, they love the Gansfeld. It's good for funding, guaranteed funding. Um, I'm going to throw a curveball in here because I'm going to ask that that really really difficult question that I know you've probably been asked a thousand times before, and it's the question that you hate: Do we survive death? Well, um, I don't hate it. Um, I, I, I do. <laughs> The, I, I will say that I am not a staunch materialist, and I've had arguments or discussions with people in and, in and around the field. Uh, it, like I said, it's, it's your starting point. If you are um, a true materialist, reductionist thinker, if that's your philosophy and you believe that the brain is it, that's, that's all there is, you're going to say, look at the evidence for survival of death and say either it's ESP or sci in some other form or it's all hogwash. And if you are open to the idea that consciousness is more than brain and that there's a possibility that consciousness itself could survive the death of the body, then the evidence is extremely supportive of that concept. But it really depends on how you look at the evidence. For so me, how do you look at I, it? Yeah. I look at it as, yeah, there's something going on here, for real. I do believe, personally, so I personally believe that some part of us can survive the death of our body. I do not believe that everybody sticks around here. Um, psychics who say there are spirits all around us, I don't buy that. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so there's too much contradictory evidence to that, but I do believe that some people seem to stick around for a while and then they move on to wherever it is. I can't tell you what the afterlife looks like. Uh, all I can do is uh, paraphrase a, a science fiction writer and say that it's probably more different than we can even imagine. Right. So we can't... Hey. We have no words to describe it, but I do personally believe that there is survival and I kind of have to, given some of the experiences I've had from a personal perspective and the evidence that I've seen. I teach a course in this subject, in fact. In fact, it's coming up in May so the, for the uh, Rhine Center. Shameless plug. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm shameless about those courses. That's fine. It's good. It should. I mean, there's. Well, it's... Here's, a sh- here's a shameless plug. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Steve's books. Steve's books are incredibly important to my courses. Go and here's another me. shameless how, plug. How, how um, much is he paying you to say that? He is not paying me anything, but I, but I want that, that in writing. Steve, <laughs> but you know, I will put it in writing, Steve. You know, whatever you want, your stuff is great, and people should go out. Everybody interested in ghost hunting should be buying those books. Well, um, it, it, it seems an appropriate moment to mention uh, that um, Ghostology 2.0. Uh, will be out in 2021. Uh, I had the word from the publisher. They're working on getting that thing out. Um, and and um, the Society for Psychical Research um, have 
uh, have already commissioned. There is one set of guidance notes that were that were released in 2018, which mm -hmm. look at the basics of how to conduct an investigation, uh, the ethics, the interviewing processes, the research and all of and touches on the equipment. But th there was a big gap because a lot of questions were being asked about the the devices which which equipment to use how do they use it how do they interpret the the results from the the devices is this worth buying um should i get you know a flashing cat ball and um <laughs> they are indeed but the and the spr's response has been to commission a set of equipment guidance notes which will also be released in 2021 um because i finished writing it hmm. Wonderful. So, make, make, sure that we, make sure we can get them at Amazon in the U.S. We will. So, we will. We yeah, will. We'll, yeah. um, and we'll get review copies, of do course, you, as well. Do you have a Do you have a copy of the uh, the original notes, uh, Lloyd? Uh, yes, I do. I do have a copy of the guidance notes, and actually, so so do a bunch of my students, Excellent. because that was one of the required texts for. Um, <laughs> so. <laughs> you sure you're not uh, and, Steve's agent? I'm not I'm sure not about Steve, this. I am not Steve's agent. I, I mean, there are a couple couple of people's blogs I also point to very heavily, but uh, you know, I just taught a course for week course in looking at equipment, and I, I'm hypercritical of these things. Uh, and it just Steve, just to let you know, somebody I'm going to put in touch with you. Um, I got an unsolicited email from one of the people who runs one of those ghost equipment shops online. Right. And he was he was wanted to see if I wanted to see a piece of equipment. So I ended up talking to him for quite a long time. He's got a background in mechanical engineering. He actually knows physics. And oh, good. he knows he knows he's kind of pandering to a lot of the ghost hunters. <laughs> so he was asking what else we actually would find useful <laughs> and what he Excellent. could build for, for us. Excellent. Well, that's so, a start because it's a start, yeah, yeah, because yeah. it makes a change from from some of the modified nonsense we've had over recent years. Um, yeah, we, well, I mean, I've I've got to admit that you know the ghost hunting community is a is an inventive group of 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 people, yeah. and yeah. the reason if they could, I, I've said all along, it, the breakthrough is going to come, as in a lot of um, discoveries from the amateur community. And then the, the the academics will come along and claim the glory. Um, I mean, we've seen this in archaeology. We've seen this in astronomy uh, and, and many other uh, uh, pursuits also. The problem yeah, we've got at the moment is we need we just need the ghost hunting community to up its game a little yeah. Uh, yeah. in order to produce evidence and data that's challenging the academics. Because at the moment, playing around with cat balls and stuff toys is it, they're wasting their time and it's trying yeah. to say to these people look please just you're in the right place you've got the people you've got the technology that you need just stop playing games with it well that's that's the problem that and they're playing you know they're playing game for two, games for two reasons one is the tv shows are putting them in yeah. that position yeah. and the other is that so many of them are in it for personal uh, mm -hmm. validation They're but there are there are there are a number of people oh yeah you know, in in all of the groups who you know fortunately were directing some into the spr um and mm -hmm. hoping that we can reach out to them but this was this is what i said right at the start of the, of the of the the hour that um that the the that void which is being filled by um social media and by the media uh the tv shows is is 
partly there because of the, the failure of the academic community to reach out and be that resource. Yeah, I, I don't think the, honestly, well, first of all, in parapsychology in general, there is a number of people who are just not interested in survival well, or in, yeah, just like in any field, they're not interested in every part of the field. Uh, but the, the ones who are, are sometimes appalled by what they see. <laughs> uh, and I, I think that so many of the academics, I mean, I got involved with academic parapsychology because I eventually found a graduate program which was being offered at the time. But that's because I reached out as someone who wanted to learn. In fact, I have gotten emails from people all over the place, even before we had the Rhine courses, asking what do I do to, to uh, literally up my game, as you say, um, to learn about this, this field, to learn about things. Uh, but at the same time, the models that they have, the, their role models are people who not only oh, don't yeah. show anything, any connection, but they often disdain anything about academic parapsychology. They mm -hmm. ignore folks. In fact, I was at a, a ghost hunter conference put on by the guys from Paranormal State when one of the two ghost hunter leads uh, in, a in, in a panel we were on made the statement that there was no lit really lit good literature on the field before field meaning ghosts or anything else before the 1990s. Huh? Wow. And I immediately, so this is one of their heroes and I butted in and fortunately I had somebody else backing me up because otherwise I would have been just yelled off the stage. As it is, I got pretty much people coming up to me afterwards saying, how come, why should I listen to you? You don't have a TV show. <laughs> I, so, you know, <laughs> and I've gotten that attitude at many, you know, at the mm -hmm. conferences I used to go to. I will not go to them anymore unless I um, very specifically vet what's going on there for that reason. So we have to also remember that a lot of our audience, and this is not just with, this topic, it's in so many topics. There's bad science education going on in general. Mm -hmm. And people do look at television when it's called reality. A lot of folks, unfortunately, at least here in the States, seem to think that reality means it's real. And here in the UK too, they, they, yeah. they watch these, uh, these uh, fly on the wall things and think it's, uh, I mean, it's like a soap opera, you know, the, right. the same yeah. sort of idea that we they are, believe. We are but running out of time. And, I, and this is one other question I did want to get to you, because uh, this, this is something that I saw. It was a statement made by Joshua Warren regarding that, you know, we all heard the, the famous saying, I see dead people. And they, he, he, his claim was that uh, people do see ghosts uh, uh, because their eyes uh, are more active. They, they're more active in the infrared and uh, UV light. No. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, I've heard, you know, that's been going on for a long time. I, it's not just that he hasn't just said that. There's so mm -hmm. much good evidence that it's not the eye. Okay. Steve? It's, no, I, 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 I even, even, well, I mean, this is something that's in, uh, I think it's in ghostology, um, you know, because we're dealing with these uh, infrared cameras, ultraviolet cameras, full spectrum cameras. Right. When the witness says, I was sitting in my in my dining room and I saw an apparition in daylight or, you know, in the evening, they're seeing in, in invisible light. So right. whatever, if they are seeing anything at all, it ain't going to be in the infrared range. Yeah. It's there's a serious problem with considering that this is an, op, an optical phenomena, and that doesn't also that also does not explain why some people don't see the ghost, but they smell the ghost. So there's there's something mm -hmm. going on with their nose, or they might actually hear a voice. Is there something going on mm -hmm. with their ears, and why can't you record that in any way, shape, or form? 
And so, we've got to acknowledge that there are, there, I mean, there are cases of synesthesia where you have yeah. um, an interactive or, or an interchangeability of senses. But there are very, uh, you know, uh, I, th- I believe the British artist Turner, um, it is now suggested that some of his, because he, he painted these these very contrasty, luridly, uh, often lurid coloured skies which which is one of his trademarks and it was suggest i mean there is a me- several medical conditions where people do have extended uh, or altered um perception to light to light mm-hmm. to the light spectra but that is incredibly rare as are synesthesia uh, synesthesia i can't even say the word at the synesthesia moment. yeah well yeah, and, um, and let's, let's remember that um what the eye sees is not necessarily what the brain no, exactly perceives. Exactly. And I, I've been saying this for, uh, regarding hearing, which is my particular interest sound. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do not hear with our ears. Um, right. Our ears are part of the hearing process. Correct. Our, you know, our physical senses, the sensory organs are part of the perception process. Mm-hmm. And the idea of, of extra sensory perception is not that there's another sense, but that we're getting perception that is beyond the range of the normal senses. We're getting information that is different in our perceptual process. It doesn't come from the normal senses, at least as far as we know so far. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, I've, I've, well, I was going to say I've suggested um, at, at one or two conferences that perhaps this this missing um, idea of psi, trying to understand it, um, are we dealing with not a sixth sense, but the five senses operating in a in a new fashion? A fashion that's that we don't yet understand. That is, that's kind of interesting. So a that's form of synesthesia yeah. that's that's mm-hmm. uh, inherent within us all, um, and in some people, as as with um, many faculties, some people have a more developed variant of it. Um, right. But what we're seeing is five senses operating in different ways, uh, and collaborating between themselves and producing some strange phenomena. That is really interesting. Or rather strange experiences. Yeah. No, that's an interesting idea. And let's remember we also have a sense of balance. Mm -hmm. And um, And, and a sense of time. And a sense of time. And the most important sense of all is a sense of humor, which many people do not have. Exactly. Yeah. I could think of a few uh, few TV ghosts that come into that category. Well, and then there's common sense, which theoretically everybody's supposed to have, but they really don't. There so, is a few more ghosts on uh, television presenters that come under that category right. too. Oh, I know that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but yes. uh, I think Ron, we're, we're yeah. I won't ask any more questions because we're going to come to the end. Yeah, we're running up to the end. But the the one thing, uh, one other thing, I wanted to finish off with was in in the parapsychology and also in the, the skeptical field as well. So, we come up with theories and we look at particular cases and we explain away cases and that's the two minute warning. Uh, we explain away cases by picking and choosing the pieces that fit to the cases. Is there a, a better way of doing it, uh, Lloyd? Um, you know, I, I think if we're trying, well, when you're trying to come up with a hypothesis, you have to kind of come up with questions so that you would start with a case if you're talking about investigative hypotheses, you would start right. with various cases. And the most important thing, I think, really is looking at the patterns. That's it's it's not individual cases. Individual cases can be examples of the pattern. Mm-hmm. But you really need to look at the overall patterns that the things that reoccur in all in the cases that seem to be similar. So and, by 
by doing the the individual paddings, are you discarding other phenomena that, that occur that doesn't fit those particular patterns? For a particular hypothesis or model, sure. Yeah, okay. You know, you put them in a different category. All right. So, anyways, we do have to wrap it up. Uh, Lloyd, how can people get in touch with you? So, the easiest way is always via email, which is profparanormal at gmail.com, as in Professor Paranormal. Mm -hmm. um, you can follow me on Twitter at profparanormal or at Lloyd Auerbach, remembering that my first name is 1L. And every other Sunday, I do. Someday you'll learn the spell. Don't worry. Yeah, thanks. Uh, every other Sunday, I'm doing an Ask Professor Paranormal session uh, at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, a little bit late for the U.K., uh, on Facebook.com slash The Live Paranormal. My next one will be, uh, actually, just did one. So the next one will be on the 20, 25th of April. That's Sunday. Excellent. Excellent. Don't worry if you're in the U.K., because I always retweet the tweets. That, I do see that, Steve, and I retweet yours. <laughs> Most of them anyway. <laughs> well, thank you. The repeatable so ones. Thank you <laughs> right. for uh, joining us today. And uh, stay tuned for the second half hour where we switch gears and we look at seances and, and spiritualism with uh, Reverend Tim Shaw. So uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Steve Pass and Ron Kolick. Our special guest has been Lloyd Arbrack, and we are brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 386 Merrimack Street in Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Gallant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street in North Andover, Massachusetts, and our good friends on Patreon. And uh, that's it. Good night, and God bless us. Stay safe. Thanks, Lloyd. Thank you. Good night, God bless. Don't forget to wear your masks. Come on, let's get these things that go.